Hello everyone and welcome to the Information Entropy Podcast, where we take subjects and try and create some order from the disorder, but more likely we'll create more disorder on the way. Uh, this week we are going to be continuing our space journey and things we'll encounter in space and issues with space travel, uh, and this one we're going to try and prove how time travel might just be possible. Uh, my name's Mitchell, your host. I'm joined as per usual by Tom Jenks. Hello. <laughs> if you enjoy the podcast or you like to follow us on our various uh, socials, our Twitter is at info, info, info entry. Actually, you know what? It's <laughs> info entry pod. Uh, Instagram is the information entropy pods. We're on Spotify, we're on iTunes, we're on coming soon. Is it coming soon? iTunes. Still coming soon okay, on the iTunes, okay. I'm afraid. Hold for, fire. Uh, Hold fire on the iTunes. Hold fire, yeah, but uh, it is coming. It's in the works. Yeah. I'm on it. You're right, okay. But, like, I can't speed it up, and I'm afraid. It's just, <laughs> it takes how long it takes. Tom, Tom is on it. And if you, again, if you like what you hear, give us a rating. I'm not sure if we're there yet, Tom, but just keep that in the back of your mind, and we'll, uh, we'll appreciate it. So, hi, Tom. How's it going? You good? Yeah, not too bad. Yeah? Not too bad at all. Too I think... Uh, you know, we're recording at a different time today, uh, so if we end up not pronouncing words properly, <laughs> it's a little later. Then, uh, it's a little later. It's, it's a little later, mm. but it's all right. Yeah, it's you know, good. after some depressing Valorant games, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, you've got to get <laughs> in the headspace. Really good. We had we had a, a good session of good Valorant games. True, true. Say, can't deny that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, going well. I'm out on field work still, mm-hmm. um, and it is just scorching hot here. Yeah. So oh, it's, like? it's, it's an, uh, so it's sitting around 28 Ooh, degrees. That is, I don't know what that's like in Fahrenheit, I'm afraid, off the top of the dome. But unfortunately, here at the place that I do field work, there's just zero wind. And it's just a bit of a sun trap. And then back at the, the place I'm staying as well. So you walk outside and you're just like, please no. <laughs> Please, not like this. It's about 82 for our American listeners. Ah, there we go. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyone who knows me knows I do not deal with the sun well. My body just goes, ah, oh, heat, <laughs> sweat. Like, there is no in-between. It's just full-on... Yep, I, I have that. I have Melting. That As a slightly uh, larger man, uh, I'm just broad. Those people that... Don't know oh, I was going to say, mate, you're, not, you're, like, you're not large. Yeah, I'm not large, but I'm quite broad and he- I say heavy set. Not muscular, but just like quite stocky. Big bone. <laughs> yeah, no, like just big bone. And that's fine. But like, yeah, as soon as my temperature goes up by about five degrees, my body's just like, oh, time for you to sweat. What's going on here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah 100%. Um, but I mean, after winter, it's been pretty cold. And then, you know, the spring was so nice. It's like, ah. Oh, this is good. <laughs> but the problem is when you're in a hotter country than the UK, yeah. is it just doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there was just a sudden hike over the past couple of days where it just hit 28. I'm like, okay, this is, I could happily go back to winter now. Yeah. And it's not like you're on holiday <laughs> and uh, no. if it's too hot for like two weeks, you can then go home. It's like, th- that is your life. <laughs> this is yeah. This is your life now. This is it now. Mm-hmm. I want to cycle around in the midday sun. Oof. But, you know, yeah, I will habituate. I will habituate. And I can't complain because I'm sure there are lots of people listening to this going, Tom, 
Shut up. <laughs> yeah. People would love to be in the position that you're currently in. <laughs> oh, no, definitely. Uh, and I know my uh, my professors in St. Andrews are just battling North Sea wind constantly. <laughs> so uh, I have no right to, to yeah. complain at all. So understandable. Very all right. So. so this week we'll be looking, just carrying on from where we were last week, really, issues with space travel and other things we might expect to encounter once we become a spacefaring civilization. Yes. Kardashev 1 point something uh, well, that's to do with energy isn't it yeah that, that's not space yeah. travel that's our consumption that was of energy. the great filter yeah that was our great filter mm-hmm. episode it was um before that though uh-huh we got any news i do have some news but do you i i always seem to go first for the news of politeness i'll i'll extend it to you would you like to go first for the news you have any news? i've got some news i can share i got some quite exciting news mm-hmm. actually this really kind of blew my mind and it's very topical i hope okay so, scientists in Florida in a NASA-funded study have just grown plants in lunar soil. In regolith is, like, the proper name for it, and it's just lunar dust, essentially. Okay, that's pretty cool. So, according to a study published Thursday, ah, so this is, only came out, ah, it's hot off the press for us, but we're recording a bit early and we're super prepared, so... Anyway, hot off the press. That's all you need to know. <laughs> when, we, when we're recording it. Not when you guys are hearing it. <laughs> exactly. Um, and the study is super important to obviously NASA's long-term goals in human space exploration. And administrator for NASA, Bill Nelson, said in a press release that the implications of this research for trying to grow plants in harsh conditions, you know, we need to use resources found on the moon and on Mars especially mm-hmm. to develop food for future astronauts living and operating in deep space. Yeah. No harsh conditions, so, one could say. Yes, very harsh conditions. So these scientists planted the seeds of a plant called Arabidopsis, Arabidopsis mm-hmm. thaliana. And it's related to mustard greens, as well as other vegetables like broccoli and cauliflower. And they put it in lunar soil, which was taken directly from the Apollo 11, 12 and 17 missions. Okay. Now, to compare, they also put them in like a a control. So not normal soil, because we know very well how they (laughs) grow there. But they made a composition of lunar soil that's like artificial to see if what they had made is actually close to lunar soil for future testing. Okay. That was their control, let's say. So after a couple of days, every single plant started to grow. There wasn't a single one that didn't sprout, which having planted, I think, 120 potatoes the other week, is impressive in normal soil. <laughs> so, say, yeah, fair is... play to them doing it in lunar soil. Um, although all the seeds sprouted, the ones that grew in lunar soil did not grow as robust as those in the control. Some of the plants grown in the lunar soil samples had stunted roots and leaves, as well as some reddish pigmentation. And after the plants had grown for 20 days, mm-hmm. the researchers harvested them and prepared them to study the RNA and maybe what had changed inside the plants. Um, and how the Arabidopsis reacted 
to the harsh environments, as you said. Mm -hmm. And I saw a couple of comments about this online as like, what does this really prove? Isn't this just a bit shit? <laughs> like, we know that the plants grow stunted. What was the point? Why is this important? And I thought, okay, I understand. But if we can modify the plants somehow to withstand those stresses, then it's a massive, massive implication that we don't need to take soil from Earth to the moon or from Earth to Mars or wherever we end up going in the future. Uh, it's a huge implication. Mean, yeah, yeah. Like, soil is not light. You know, you need a lot of soil mm -hmm. to grow plants. <laughs> so if you can modify your plants to withstand the soil of wherever you end up, that's a huge, huge implication. It means you can do it as soon as you get there. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. And I, I think it's something that we don't think about much because we're still in the whole sci-fi world. And even when you look at sci-fi things in pop culture, they're still eating food out of packets. Yeah, that or you know, like, with like hot food. Somehow they always find planets that have got perfect soil and, you know. Yeah. They start growing stuff immediately. And I understand why it's uh, like a science fiction trope. Mm -hmm. Because one, it's kind of boring to read or watch someone struggle for food in a way or you know figure yeah, out how it's, it's done good, like, unless it's like the martian yeah where it's like that was a really interesting plot point adds a like a timer to the urgency like we're running out of food and then like oh my god what do we do yeah and there's an easy resolution but, like exactly so um and the other science fiction book that does that really really well is ender's game oh here we go yeah but you tell me uh, i'm for interstellar this is yours this is mine. Uh, I, okay, you, you, probably, you may have seen the film and gone, that was odd. Fair play. <laughs> it is. It's a bit odd. Um, the book, again, a bit odd. But the second, third, and fourth book just take you to another dimension, not literally. Mm -hmm. That's not a spoiler. Just so good. Really well written. Everything. Yeah. Read it. Anyway. Yeah, I've been trying to what get about you, back into reading for a long time and I just haven't found something that has gripped me that I've wanted to just sit and finish it. Like, yeah. I've been reading How Do You Live, which is this um, Japanese translated philosophy book about uh, a child whose father dies at an early age and him and his uncle have this very close relationship and it's about him discovering... Um, pretty much society and thinking about things like that. Really good, really well descriptive, but I haven't finished that yet. And I'm just like, I need to find... And I, I'll, I know what I'll do. I'll go back to reading books I've read before. That's <laughs> like a, not a comfort thing, but I know they're good. And I think yeah. there's a bit that like, it stems from the investing so much time in a, something that could be so bad because there's so much to consume now in terms of like books movies that kind of stuff um that there's so much trash out there <laughs> like, yeah you can easily uh, fall down and there's even stuff like particular taste like people will be like oh you like this you should read it and i end up reading like the first like someone 
I used to work with was like, you know, Dune is a great book, a great read, whatever. I tried it. I got through like the second, the second, third chapter and was just like, this is dry and I'm not, I'm not in it for this. This is not what I it want. It is dry for the first couple of chapters. Yeah. Like it is. <laughs> Here we go. Past that, uh-huh. it is yeah. blindingly okay. fantastic. Yeah. You know, like when I, I listened to the like, audio book oh, no, whilst gotta, I was travelling. It's a, it's a so good it series. A you just have to watch past the first 10 episodes. You know what's going on. Then it's really good. It's like, yeah, but that's 10 episodes. And by that time, I'm already dull and bored. And <laughs> No, I get what you mean. It could be a bit like, if you have to put effort into enjoying something before you enjoy it, is it really enjoyable? Yeah. I understand the argument. But uh, no, I, I really enjoyed that. Like, I'm thinking about going back and reading... A, either the Dark Tower series, so Stephen King, or the Mortal Engines series by Philip Reeves. Those are my, my two oh, possible yeah. like, holiday books that I plan on reading because I know it's been long enough since I've read them that some of the I've forgotten some of it and they're both complex yeah. enough that I'll be like, oh, so, oh yeah, that's so interesting. <laughs> I haven't read a good book in a while. Like, properly sat down and read it. Yeah. Uh, I've audio booked a few. I can't do audio books. There's not really a, a time for me that I'm just like, okay, I can do... Back when I used to drive places or I used to commute, that would be my podcast and audiobook listing phase. And yeah. I can't, do, I, can't, I can't work and listen to an audiobook at the same time because I'll end up writing what I'm listening to. That weird phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm trying to write a policy document and there's just like the man in black strode across the desert. And I'm just like, okay, that's not helpful. <laughs> um. No, but in that sense, it's like I only listened to them because I was traveling mm. three hours, six, nine hours a week. Oof. So it was a good time to do it. But... It depends what if I'm writing. No, I has to listen to like just put some liquid drum and bass on, oh, crank it down low, crank it down it's low. Just- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pump that um, shit all the way to one. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I just sit there moving my head too much and I can't read what I'm writing. Uh, but yeah, uh, but no, like if I'm <laughs> doing like data, I always have a D and D podcast on. Ah, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, I agree with that. There's a lot of time, like spreadsheet work. I'll be like, okay, music or a D&D podcast. Like, yeah, time to let's listen to Adventure Zone from the people. start for the fourth time. <laughs> let's go. Yeah, that's some uh, fun times. Mm-hmm. Fun times. Okay, but if you, if you um, want to book, any any news, uh, the Dark Tower series is is one that I think you would enjoy. Do we just ignore the film? Uh you just ignore the film. Just okay. that. Is <laughs> it's a separate thing. It's its own thing. Yeah. So the Dark Tower's got like I think it's like eight books. Um but they're all very different, but all very good. They didn't try and do the eight into one thing, did they? Um for, for the movie, yeah. That's kind of essentially what happened. That's tragic. Yeah. Eight books into one movie. Ha <sighs> <sighs> Now it's Stephen should not. He shouldn't have signed off on it. I know there's like a lot more, a lot of money probably incentivized to, but for sure, the Firestarter's coming out, isn't it soon? Firestarter. Yeah. So that's Stephen King, right? Don't know. Firestarter. 
Um, it's like a superhero thing, but it's a bit more gritty. Yes. Yeah, Firestarter. Yeah. It's, he does a lot of fiction horrors, so. Yeah. Um, which, do you know what's interesting? A lot of, like, all the powers are related. If you didn't know, with uh, Stephen King's universes, they're all interlinked by something. Okay. So a lot of, there's a lot of references in the Gunsling series, like, that has to do with it and it too. Like, Pennywise is a creature and Pennywise's father, or the, the being that fathered Pennywise, is in the, the Gunsling series. Oh. Yeah, like, it's, it's all interconnected. And the vampires from, I think it's Salem's Lot, are also in the series, and they um, try and track people down. And then the Shining, the Shine, the power, they are, like, the beings that absorb that, which is in the the second book, which is Doctor Sleep, I believe. That's also in the Dark uh, Tower series. Okay. So everything's oh, really interesting. And there's also references to Harry Potter, which is really funny. Um, and, and lightsabers, <laughs> things like that. There's a bit because like the whole thing is there's these universes connected by these beams that are all interlinked by the tower and someone's trying to take the tower down and they're breaking the beams to do it. Um, uh, and that's the, like how it is and how everything relates in um, but there's a golden snitch that's essentially a weapon that just like comes apart and just eviscerates people and then flies away <laughs> like it's pretty pretty brutal <laughs> brutal books really good really clever recommend any of them alright I, I I had no idea about the series hashtag going not into sponsored it. I, hashtag not sponsored <laughs> and, like, I thought it was just like um like a cowboy book going into it and i was like yeah. oh yeah this is cowboy yeah this is cowboy huh that's that's not so cowboy huh interesting this is completely not like <laughs> when it gets to the end it's like a, a normal meter it's, it's like for the whole book it's like an xy graph it's like one to one one to one one to one one to one gets to the last like five chapters and then just exponentially just flies off the charts i'm like okay this is a different <laughs> book than what i thought it was going to be um but characters are good well written would, would advise but getting back to news, right, maybe, yeah, maybe I'll news. look into that then. Some news. <laughs> yeah, let's put it back on to the science uh, track. So this news was, I think, published two hours ago. Well, it would have been four hours ago oh. now. Um, that the news broke. Uh, some people found the research and decided to publish it. But it comes, I thought it was very in keeping with our theme today, that high-energy neutrinos may come from black holes ripping apart stars. So, Damn. if you don't know, neutrinos are very, say very, they're lightweight particles which have no electrical charges that have been observed to like careen across the cosmos like incredibly quick, incredibly quick. Um, but it's been a, they've been a very big mystery in like physics. Like to create them, the conditions must be like just right because you have to drastically accelerate charged particles which then, after you accelerated them, they then become neutrinos. Um, and they have decided that, decided, observed that a new traumatic light from, if I get this right, a tidal disruption event, which is when a supermassive black hole rips apart a star, 
like these tidal disruption events happen and then high energy neutrinos have been spotted coming away from them. I say spotted, observed. They're, they use <laughs> scientific instruments. They're not just there with binoculars, just like, oh, look at it go! Spotted one. Yeah. <laughs> What's the, write it down, like write it down. Scientists with those clickers, those number clickers. We're like, click, yes. oh, that's another one. Click, that's another one. Um, and then they've got scientists on the other side of the earth clicking them as they go out yeah, as well. Yeah, just to, like... You're drunk, mate. <laughs> we're at max capacity. We're at max capacity. I've got 30 <laughs> on my clicker. You can't come in. Um, the thing is, they've observed them that this is what they believe, but it's still not 100% clear how the tidal disruption events would produce them. They just have this correlation, like tidal disruption event, then they come off. Um, but in one proposed okay. scenario... There's a jet of particles that are flung away from the black hole could accelerate protons, which could interact with the surrounding radiation to produce the speedy neutrons. So it's like a frictional byproduct of the protons being fired away. That's mad. Yeah, it's crazy stuff. Um, and it's only recently the, the observations of these high-energy neutrinos and, like, and transients have improved enough to enable scientists to find potential links between the two. So with like the recent data, that's why this news piece is so exciting because they've now gone, okay, this is linked to this. We don't know 100% how it's linked, but we know it's linked. Um, yeah. But there's, of course, with all like physicists in, in this area, there's now like massive debates over <laughs> the origins and how it works. And that's what they're working on now. That's really cool because... One, they either just make it up. I mean, classic physics, just made up. <laughs> it's, just, it's all theories, I had. It's all theories, yeah. <laughs> but no, like, you know, they find something that, okay, okay, this is how we thought it worked, and this really adds a piece to the puzzle, so now... But the problem is, you don't know how big that piece of the puzzle is mm -hmm. yep. to completing it all. But yeah, really interesting. And oh. now they can actually have further debates, and, you know, if that is a true big source of neutrinos or the only one then that's mad absolutely crazy stuff yeah really crazy wow very cool uh any other news no just that one just that one cool um i just want to give a quick shout out to anyone who's listening uh we do cover more things than just space <laughs> yes, we've we just do. got caught in a bit of a uh I want to say a rut, but it's not a rut. No, just, it's, uh, it's over-research. A bit of a theme here. It's over-research. Yes. So what, what happens is Tom and I, we go, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do space travel. Well, actually, it was the great field to start off with. And then in doing that, we both over-researched it because obviously we got into a hole and then couldn't get out <laughs> and then decided to research and write those things down. And then we once we finished the episode, we kind of go, how much did you have left over? And we were both like, oh, yeah, quite a lot. So then we continued that in the next episode and then we did that again. <laughs> so <laughs> we, it's, it's just over-research causes these cascade. Yeah. It's, like a, it's like waterfall, you know, when you do like project management and then just like next one, then it falls into the next one. It's kind of like that. We're very agile and, uh, you know, I, I hate myself for saying that. <laughs> uh, uh, You've been at work too much, mate. Uh, I need a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> you do. You do. Go take one. Uh, but yes, so we're on the space theme at the minute, but we will move on to other things. Um, so if that's what you're waiting for, do not fret. 
it will arrive at some point but i thought i'd just get that out there yeah in case people have listened to the first few episodes and gone oh it's only space no uh no it would be anything and everything so with that being a point if you have something Mm -hmm. whatever it is Mm -hmm. that you want to be researched and you don't have the time to do it let us know instagram twitter whatever it is uh shoot us a dm yeah shoot us a cheeky dm be there all right what have you got then to look at on the topic of spacey things, space travel, what we might encounter in space as we start to travel? So as we alluded to in the last episode, I went in on gravitational time dilation. Um, yeah, You know, coming from speaking about Interstellar and Outlast and how weird and wobbly things happen when you go to like a an object that's got a lot of mass that's kind of bend space time um that's what i went in on and then a little bit of dark matter because everybody loves dark matter because you have to start by saying more is unknown than known (laughs) (laughs) what i'm going to tell you on the adventure we take in the next 30 minutes is complete conjecture (laughs) yes it may be completely wrong Mm -hmm. And thus, not wrong at all. So yes, that's what I've got. Well, why don't we start with a bit of uh, time dilation uh, then? That's always something yeah, to go. flex the brain yeah, muscles. There we go. And then I'll come in with a bit of uh, speeding up space travel or something like that. Okay. Strapping so, rockets to our backs. Strap your ears in because you're in for a ride. Gravitational time dilation is a phenomenon whereby time runs slower when in a higher gravity potential. Uh, so to put it even simpler than that, uh, the closer you are to like a large body in space, like Earth, the slower the time runs. And as time runs slower for someone on the surface of the Earth compared to someone in the orbit of said Earth. So yeah. us people down here are technically running slower than the scientists aboard the International Space Station. And I can tell you it's by 0.003 seconds per year. So not a lot. Not a lot. But if they're up there for 20,000 years, that's at least (laughs) 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 like 10 minutes. (laughs) But it's a wild thing to think about, Mm. right? Because Mm -hmm. time is one of those things that's very hard to explain anyway. But we all know the concept of time, let's say. Yes. And we perceive it in our brains on the surface of Earth in a certain way. I and mean, we, we can't imagine it a different way. Yeah. But the thing is, even if you're perceiving it in a different way, it's going to seem normal to you. Yes. And it's going to seem normal to other people mm-hmm. in their perception. It's just when you come back together, that's when you'll realize things are different. And I'm sure you'll come on to how those things might be different in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, possibly. So yeah, it, it's not like you s- start seeing things sped up or slowing down. And we're just used to time being like this because that's the gravity around Earth. If Earth was really, mm. you know, had a massive gravity pull like the sun or a black hole, things would be very very different. Yeah. And I wonder in that instance and hear me out here. Because I know this is kind of covered in Interstellar, where he goes onto the planet near the black hole, right? Yeah. 
And time passes normally for him. Yes. But does he physically age slower? Um, Because, like, that no, matter is, is existing so, for the same length of time, yeah, or is it not? It's, it's not. That This is where it gets a bit wibbly-wobbly. It's not like he's impervious and lived the same amount as someone else, if that makes sense. Like, he, yeah. if you've got someone on the outside that's gone 20 years, and if someone comes out and they've been next to a black and they come out, they're not both 20 years, but he just looks a lot younger. Time has been different for those people. Like, yeah. the way... If you imagine, like, uh, a line that goes from A to B, and it's a straight line, and if you imagine that's time... Uh, you've gone from one place to the other, so let's say that's a year. If you essentially bend that line, so you're using a high mass of like in that space time, you're still going from A to B in the same place, but you've taken a longer route to get there. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 weird to think about because it because it, essentially with this, if you could, if near Earth we had a high enough like gravitational body that was bending space time enough a it would be awful for us it would have some weird effects but we could essentially <laughs> fire like a pod <laughs> a rocket pod a spaceship with people in it so that like do one loop and they would they would essentially be traveling forwards in time from our perspective yeah because they'd come back and lots of time will have passed. Yes, lots of time will have passed for us, but for them it wouldn't have. So yeah, I'm just going to do you a loop around the moon. You'll be back in, yeah. you know, a few days. But for them, like, 100 years would have gone by. Yeah, is, that's the quote line, is it? This maneuver is going to cost us 10 years or something. Yeah. That's, that's from Interstellar. Uh, Which is a very interesting thing to think about, because obviously we're going through this very capitalist... Uh, <laughs> space movement right now right um like do you think if that were a thing people would try and commercialize it like okay your life sucks a bit or maybe it even doesn't you just want to go see what's in the future so we'll send you around the moon Mm -hmm. we'll take a a few times it'll take a couple years off your life or you know you'll you'll be up there for a couple years but when you come back you know 500 years will have passed yeah Mm -hmm. do you reckon that would be a thing um, I think some people would want to do that. Yeah, it'd be a, a, bit, a bit gamble, though, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, a bit awkward if when you come back, the Earth is like destroyed and like World War Two. There's no one there to collect you. Yeah, yeah. But in that time, you're probably the technical advancements. Imagine what we've done in like since the 1940s to now. Yeah, like another hundred years, and then another four hundred years after that, I'd expect some sort of <laughs> progression. Maybe they'll come. Like, no, we 100%. talked about that last week. Maybe they'll, someone will come get me and be like, "Okay, your time's up. We've got, we've progressed enough. Come back." Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Just pull you out of orbit. Yeah. Giant magnet. It's, anyway, sorry. Yeah. Uh, tangenting there on random things. Mm-hmm. Bring us back to. The sensical world of <laughs> time dilation. There, there's time dilation. A, a big equation that I'm not gonna. Um, You're gonna leave out the equation. Yeah, after because all I'm not this. gonna. Because it's it's difficult. It's very complex to like 
uh, there's T goes here, and then there's T O plus squared over bracket. <laughs> yeah, no one needs to know that. But all they need to know is like, whilst Einstein's field equation for general relativity is very complicated, the equation for time dilation is much simpler. Um, let me actually get it up. Do 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 do. Um, they didn't actually copy it down, which because I, I thought people would want to know. Because <laughs> there's two. There's one that's like outside of a non-rotating sphere and one that's in. Um, you know what? I've taken that back. It is compl- it's too complex to describe. In, in terms okay. of like overall uh, equation in like physics, it's not as complicated as you would have thought. But there's like exponential square bracket one over c2 sum of h zero gh in a bracket to the power of one dh to the power of one um that, that's what it is okay you've described it but in this equation uh, there's t and zero and this is the proper time for an event so that means that it's the time measured when observer and the event are in the same gravitational potential so you have this right. two moving parts and there's tf which is the time as measured when at an infinite distance from any mass. Right. Uh, and there's, there's, two, there's, there's Gs. So the values G and C are, again, the Newtonian gravitational potential and the speed of light, respective. And M and R are the mass of the object you are near, and R is the distance from said object, respectively. So, you know... It's it's not too so. If bad. I've understood correctly, yes, it's basically saying so. T zero, which is a very common uh, denomination for time, yeah, um, as like the starting point of you and uh, an occurrence, right? An object of observation, right? Mm-hmm. In the same time frame and gravitational frame, yeah. Let's say will act differently depending on the infinite or finite distance to, to a object that has a gravitational pull. Yep. And it depends on the mass of that object. Yeah. On how the time will change relative yep. for that person and object to a different person and object in a different time and gravitational frame. Indeed. Well done. Surmising. Um. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So but this, this equation can be written a bit differently by applying Schwarzschild's solution to general relativity, which gives you the uh, Schwarzschild's radius, and the radius of an object of mass m, for which if all mass is contained within that radius, then the gravitational field is too strong that not even light can escape. I wonder what that could mean. Um, if one therefore applies this formula <laughs> whose mass is contained within their Schwarzschild's radius, i.e. black holes, then when something or something, someone, reaches the edge of a black hole, when R equals RS, time for the object divided by the person appears to stop from the point of view of an observer further away. Further away. Thus, you can never see something that falls into a black hole as time stops at the edge of a black hole. It then gets stranger once the person falls into the black hole, although you'll never see it, as the value is the square root operator becomes negative, so the answer comes back as an imaginary number, and no one knows how to interpret an imaginary result in the real world. In the real world, 
animal for you. Uh, time dilation has also been the subject of science fiction works. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, because of these equations and how they're written and how it's formulaic, it's essentially the closer you get to a black hole, the more the number gets silly. And you'll never see someone be spaghettiified. We just know that's what will happen right. when they get close enough because they'll be pulled apart by the sheer forces. But because of gravitational time dilation, when they get close enough, it'll just look like they go like slower, 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 and then stop. And then I believe uh, online, I saw a video once, and essentially they will just like fade away. Like they'll just turn yes. opaque and then disappear. They won't actually move anywhere. The light will stop being... Bounce, like bounce the universe is just turning up the transparency. <laughs> yeah, the transparency filters have been like, whoop, that's that for them. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's why gravitational time, like, time dilation happens. And it's, it's it's crazy to think. It's absolute madness. Yeah. Like, you know, time, as I would say, it's just such a fundamental thing to think about that breaking down or not breaking down, just changing. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's mind-boggling, really. Yeah. I I think the way that I tried to wrestle it in my head, the way that I tried to to describe it to you before is if you imagine a rock in a river and the water's like passing down the river and that's normal time. And then when it gets to the rock, because it has to move round and travel further and longer, that's what essentially is happening in gravitational time dilation. Yes. Um, Yeah, yeah. Or the flip side of it is if you have, which is... This is the way that you visually describe what gravity is to, um, not gravity, bending of space time to like students is you have one of those like a really large cloth and then you place like a ball in the center of it and then you throw yeah. the ball around the outside and be like, yeah, and this is why like orbits happen because mass is bent space time, it draws it in and that's why you spin round. But now imagine if the mass was deep enough that essentially we, that cloth would be pulled down so far that if you were to go down into that hole and around to come back up it would be it would take so long that essentially you know, yeah the time difference from someone that's on the flat plane to the, the hole would be it'd be that's why it happens okay no that makes sense mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense yeah Maybe we should introduce like a explain it like on five section <laughs> at the top yeah, of the you know, show. Five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Some proofs of gravitational time dilation. You want to hear this? Yeah, that's very so interesting. The first actual proof of gravitational time dilation came when highly accurate atomic clocks were put in airplanes. And after being flown around at high altitudes after the journey, the atomic clock on the plane. Uh, compared to the one on the ground, which was synchronized before the plane journey, the, the clock on the plane was found to be faster than the one on the ground by the amount predicted by the equation that uh, of gravitational time dilation. So they actually used the maths, compared it, did the results, got the, resen- the results out, and was just like, okay, it's going to be this. Went up in a plane, flew it around, came back down, and was like, oh, look, it actually is out of kilter by the amount that we hypothesized. Which is, <laughs> it blows my mind how people can just do maths. Yeah. And, when you and be just... like, that's going to affect the real world. <laughs> and it's just letters or numbers on a board. Yeah. And you're like, okay, sure, pal. Yeah. And then they get the planes and atomic clocks out to show you. 
Yeah. Madness. So more more recently, the scientists that are testing the theory have used much smaller optical clocks, uh, which are accurate to one second in every 3.7 billion years. <laughs> if you wanted oh. an accurate clock. <laughs> um, by comparing two of these clocks and changing their heights by less than a meter, they then measured a time change consistent with the prediction of the gravity time dilation. Over a meter was enough of a difference for them to be able to record a change. How? What was the time period? Um, what do you mean? In time period? Like, okay, they changed the meter, then they waited how long? No, mate, if you just change the meter and then check it, because it's only a meter, they can just move it up, look at it, and it'd be off. Oh, right, it was instantaneous. Yeah, because these... Okay, <laughs> these clocks... Because it's so accurate, uh, Like, Okay, yeah, so accurate to one second in every 3.7 billion years. Like, wish my clock was like that. <laughs> like, that's how off they were and how accurate they were. Yeah. It would take 3.7 billion years for them to, like, not be accurate. To go wrong yeah. otherwise. So, yeah. so, so incredible. Yeah. Madness. Yep. But how does this affect us, Tom? Oh, no. Yeah, it, it nearly affects every <laughs> one of us in our daily lives. I'm sure it does. And I'm sure, do people who live in like mountainous regions, I was going to say age. Yeah, they do, but not, rem slower? not remarkably so. If you think the, like, every year at the ISS is 0 0.003. Like, uh, so okay, a mountain yeah. ain't going to be doing much in terms of extending your life. But even then, I, are you not extending your life in a weird way? No, you're not. It's just you're making it a couple of extra seconds, maybe. Yeah, compared to everybody else. In grand total. But no, I was, thinking, I was talking more about... Nine out of ten doctors hate this one trick. <laughs> Go live at the top of the mountain. to the Himalayas. Yeah. Um, it's actually to do with GPS systems. Ah, uh, yes. Mm -hmm. I had to study this, surprisingly, for marine biology. Yeah, I, I wonder why. Um, because, you know... That's like GPS systems are the systems that we use for, for maps and guidance that use satellites. And I think if we didn't have GPS systems, our, our day to day lives would probably fall apart. Like the amount of ships, logistical nightmares that would happen if GPS just suddenly crashed. Oh, yeah. It would be catastrophic. So GPS stands for the Global Positioning System, and it's a, an American system which uses 20, a constellation of 24 satellites to allow you to locate your position on the Earth's surface to an accuracy of 10 to 20 meters. Um, for global coverage, a it's constellation more of... more than that. Is it more than that? No, no. It's, that's... It is... Uh, that's the public Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but for military, it can be... Yeah, quite. You know, centimeters. Oh, centimeters. Oh, damn. Yeah. Uh, it also depends how many you're connected to. Um, so for, for global coverage, the constellation of 24 satellites is required with the current constellation consisting of 31, providing redundancies in case there's individual satellite failures, one can move into its place. Um, like if you've watched, uh, what is that with, is it Eggsy, the Kingsman? The second yeah. one where they've got the satellites and they're using them and they put one back, they move one to create the system around the globe. That essentially happens. Um, okay. Yeah. So, 
So uh, each satellite contains a very highly accurate atomic clock, and the satellite broadcasts the timeout continuously along with its precise location in space and the approximate positions of the other satellites. And your GPS receiver on the ground picks up the signal from the three satellites, and you can use that information to calculate your position. Incredible. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. It's like your phone. So it has to work with... Because it it's interesting, really. Like, if you had one satellite, imagine that it's like a cone down to the Earth, right? That's the area that it covers. Yeah. Because obviously it projects outwards, so there's a cone. With one satellite, it knows you are somewhere along the edge of that cone. Yes. It could draw a 2D circle on the Earth. You are on there somewhere. Yeah. With two... It will make a Venn diagram of two circles on the Earth, and you're at one of two points. Mm-hmm. And then with three satellites, you make a a Venn diagram with three yes. circles? What's that called? I still think it's a Venn, isn't a- it? Oh, okay. It's not- a Venn diagram with three circles where they all overcross in the middle, and that's how your GPS goes, ah, oh, that's where I am. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. It does it all off time and uh, relative positions. It's uh, a triple Venn diagram is the official term for that, if anyone's wondering. Yeah, it's, ah. it's, it's amazing how it works. Absolutely amazing stuff. Um, really, really cool, yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it calculates... It's weird. It has, on the satellite, has an onboard time and can calculate how far away you are from the satellite. And then knows the local point around the satellite, which you said, which is the circle. It can then compare the local point with one of the other satellites. And as it overlaps, you know, the venogram, it can see where you are. And it, but what's, what's the what's a crazy thing? <laughs> a crazier thing. It essentially creates two possible points where you could be. Because if you think about an intersection or three circles, there's going to be not just one point where you could be, there's going to be two. With the two satellites, yeah. That's why you have the third one come in. Hmm. I think. Well, I'm thinking not just on a flat plane, but I'm thinking spheres. Okay. And I think with spheres, if you have a sphere, there's... One on one side, one on the other. Right. Um, and then it essentially just goes, okay, pick the one closer to land. <laughs> which, oh. yeah, which I, I think is brilliant because there's sometimes you're like, you're in Australia. I'm like, I'm not. I'm definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> I can promise you, I am not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the way that gravitational time dilation affects this GPS is if it's, if there's atomic clocks in space and the satellites and it affects the ISS it also affects these uh, GPS satellites yeah so these clocks uh, run 30 nanoseconds fast per minute on purpose ah mm-hmm. so to keep up with normal time yes Madness. Mm-hmm. And there's. I wonder if they get to like 59 seconds and X nanoseconds and then just skip it. 
Maybe. But this is this is not important. Sorry. Yeah. And that's why the so the thirty nanoseconds uh, it creates because there's also like the transfer time, like the latency from from space down to Earth, and all that com- combined gives a large percentage of error, and that's why it says it's within this sphere of accuracy okay. because of how fast the clocks are going and the latency down to Earth. And all the percentage errors that are com- combined, it says you're between like you're in ten meters of this. Yeah, that's about that's what happens. Because if there was less latency and it was getting the time more exact, yeah, because of the time differences, it would be able to work out where you are a bit more accurately. And sometimes you'll get a really good like accuracy, mm-hmm. and maybe you're connected to more than three satellites. Yeah, if you happen to be in the right place, you're hogging them all. Uh, you, yeah. Uh-huh. You'll, you'll you'll get the fourth one maybe come in and you'll suddenly get a bit more accuracy less so on your on your phones because that's internet based but uh yeah. with an actual gps thing yeah mm-hmm. um and with all the errors over a day uh the errors would build up and cause approximately that sphere of knowing where you are to expand to 10 kilometers which is essentially okay. useless to anybody because that'd be like (laughs) yeah you're somewhere between like Exeter Bath Bristol Cardiff (laughs) Wales Um, so the US Army have to constantly monitor the system and update the clocks on the satellites to counteract the fact they run fast to ensure that the world runs continuously and very smoothly crazy stuff really crazy that's really really cool must be a right pain. I wonder how long it took them to figure that out. Well, I guess they would have gone up in the planes before they went up in the satellite. So I would have hoped they would have just yeah. shunted into space and been like, right, it's up there now. We'll work on it. <laughs> we'll work on yeah. it. It'll be fine. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Really cool indeed. Yeah. So when, uh, you know, there's people in China and Russia using GPS, just remember, American system. <laughs> wow <laughs> got him got him no actually they have their own which is so the Chinese is called the Bei Dao Bei Do it's D-O-U so do Bei Do which is their own navigational satellite system okay uh, and it's two separate satellite constellations and it's accuracy oh. is between 3.6 meters so take that GPS yeah, I suppose, suck it. I suppose that's uh so that's that's the public one, as you said, it's three point six. The uh that's the global public one. Asia Pacific's two point six and in- encrypted, which is the military, is ten centimeters. What did I say? Uh I think you said ten two. centimeters. I think you said two, didn't you? Oh, did yeah. I? Oh, oh if people it. are listening, hear it back. Shout, shout me out if I got it wrong. <laughs> It's mad, isn't it? Ten centimeters is crazy. Yeah, that's like moving yeah, really something cool. across your desk and being like <laughs> the government having your phone and moving it to the other side of the desk and the government being like, "Yeah, no, you moved it." You know. Yeah. Really cool. Mm-hmm. Realize I've taken up a lot of time. 
gravitational That's right, we just did an episode on uh, time dilation. It's fine. Yeah. What, what have you um, got? What, what else? What, are there any other kind of impacts time dilation may have on our lives? Um, none that I've written down or researched. I'm sure there okay. are more, but I have not got them. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Um, to what I was going to speak about kind of came on from last week is how we may get to different places. And we, we've spoken about it a bit before. Mm. Um, but this will have a direct kind of link with time dilation. As you say, if we go to maybe an exoplanet that's around a star with higher gravity and then the people come back, let's say if it isn't a one way trip. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not currently an interplanetary species, which is fine. We'll get there if we don't burn the world down first. Yeah. But let's say, take Mars, for example. It's 300 million miles away. It's 480 million kilometers, depending on the orbits that we're both in. Mm -hmm. And it currently takes a rocket about seven to nine months to get there, I think. So that presents two issues just straight away. One, how do we speed up travel? And two, how do we create spacecraft that are habitable for the journey needed? Right. Mm-hmm. So I kind of looked at those two things. And there are many, for speeding up travel, many, many different types of propulsion systems have been proposed, whether they're theoretical, whether they're kind of like actually can be done. Mm-hmm. But they fall into four main categories, which are slow, uncrewed probes, which basically, like the Voyager program, just take thousands of years to reach their destination probably going to be overtaken on the way like we mentioned last week Mm -hmm. um but without a crew it's a fairly you know the the risks are very low yes you have the fast uncrewed probes again like the voyager programs because there's no one on board um so again the risk is very low but they're just a lot faster and what's been introduced here is nanoprobes okay these are near light speed nano spacecraft, which is just an epic band name. Might be possible within the near future on existing microchip technology with a newly developed nanoscale thruster. Researchers at the University of Michigan are developing thrusters that use nanoparticles as propellant. Their technology is called nanoparticle field extraction thrusters mm-hmm. or nanofet. Very cool name. Um, <laughs> these devices act like small particle accelerators. It's basically you have a microchip that's just shooting nanoparticles out the back. Okay, yeah. And that's just producing, because it's so small, an insane amount of thrust. Now, have you heard of Grey Goo? It sounds familiar. Well, I think we've spoken about it before, and it's essentially, you know, if you game. could... It's a video game, if you didn't know. <laughs> Oh, is it? It is, but the video game is based after the uh, the hypothetical global catastrophic scenario. Yes, but think about this on a universal scale, where you build uh, you you build a robot that basically has four actions it can take, which is go somewhere, yeah, deconstruct things into the basic materials, build more of themselves, and repeat. And essentially what they do is they travel from planet to planet, breaking everything down into the basic materials to build more of the robots that it is, more nano robots, and then they go off to another world. Mm-hmm. Um, 
one really weird theorized world of universal destruction if you were so inclined to build such a device yes um so then you've got so those are your probed fast slow then you've got crude missions so you've got slow ones and this is what you spoke about which is your generational ships yep. which is like wally like you said and your suspended animation ships which is like passengers mm-hmm. so everyone's asleep in cryo or whatever frozen embryos like raised by wolves yes which i said i would watch and i haven't got to yet <laughs> it's on my list well you got you got the reference um, right so well done Yes. So those three we've spoken about in the last couple of episodes, so I won't go over them again. Mm-hmm. But island topping is another method, which is essentially, okay, our ultimate goal is to get to Sagittarius A at the center of the galaxy. Yeah. But it's going to take many, many generations to go. So what we're going to do is we're going to fly from here to, you know, the closest star system. And then we're going to settle there for a bit. And then we're going to go from there when we're ready to the next closest one. And you just yeah, kind of set up colonies like, along the way. Um, a, like, is it Samoan? That's how they used to go around the islands. Yes. Um, yeah, island hopping. Island hopping. I think that's where it's taken yeah. from. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not going to start singing my one song. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's also... What can I say? Uh, yeah. Welcome. Yeah. Know who you are. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Uh, no Man's Sky. That's essentially what No Man's Sky is. Is you ah, you, island, yes. you island hop, get island find hop the the right resources to then get enough energy to then go to the next star system to get to the the center or whatever's giving yeah. off the weird uh, signal. Which, by the way, for anyone who was disappointed with No Man's Sky initially, initially. Yeah. Absolutely feel you. I waited for that for so long to come out and everyone was a bit let down. Have you played it now? But it is fucking incredible now. <laughs> it really is. You know, I, there was a bit that I was like, it won loads of awards for like, like biggest comeback and whatnot. And I was like, meh, rubbish. Uh, then I tried it and I was like, you know, I, I played this at launch. This is fair enough. They like full labor of love stuck to their guns. His name Murphy? What was the guy's... Yeah. yeah before that they'd only built a racing game on the mobile and there's only three of them doing the whole thing yeah well there were at least maybe not now no, I think way more but all the updates are free yeah so like you don't need to buy any dlc to make it better they were like okay we screwed up uh we're everything is free now mm-hmm. go for it and wow yeah that's all i can say about that. no man's sky and they just i think i yeah. think last month they released a new update for it as well like yeah, still going space strong. Pirates or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really, really cool. Yeah, you. Um. Then the final category is fast crewed missions, which is basically if a spaceship could go on average ten percent the speed of light, then you could reach Proxima Centauri, which is our closest star, in forty years. Which, in the grand scheme of things, isn't a massive length of time it is to one person's life i was gonna say if you were if you were, if you left when you're 20 we get you'd be getting them when you're 60 yeah you may not be able to do the mission when you arrive no um i don't know most scientists however are... in the grand scheme of things it's not too bad old white men <laughs> yeah um so several different concepts have been proposed and i won't go through all of them because 
I've got 15 seconds till the hour. Uh, but there's, there's a few I'd like to go over. Um, the ion engine, I think this is a very kind of standard thing. It's basically electric power is used to create charged particles yes. of propellant, <clears throat> usually the gas xenon, and accelerate them to extremely high velocities. The exhaust velocity of the conventional rockets then is limited to about five kilometers a second. Um, but the ion engines have such a low force, but the top speed is in principle only limited by the electrical power available. Mm -hmm. So if you can just keep producing electrical power and you have a way to ramp it, you just keep going faster and faster. Um, there's a few nuclear fission options, which is nuclear fission explodey bombs, nuclear fusion sun, yeah. right? If you think about it that mm -hmm. way. And you mentioned this last week, I think, which yeah. is just... Uh, <laughs> You just set off a nuclear explosion at the back of the mm. spacecraft. Yeah. And you just keep doing just that. Keep doing it. And yeah. And yeah, there's a bit of thrust going on there, but you, you get faster and faster, definitely. Uh, nuclear fusion rockets, which is basically you have a sun, a miniature sun on board. You should easily be able to reach 10% of the speed of light. And finally, antimatter rockets, which is Futurama, basically. Uh, Antimatter rocket would have a far higher energy density and specific impulse, which is just like fuel economy for space nerds, um, than any other proposed class of rocket. But you kind of need to understand what antimatter is, which is uh, a matter composed of the antiparticles or partners of the corresponding particles in ordinary matter. So if you've heard of the... Large Hadron Collider, they're looking at these particles that are formed when they smash two normal particles together. Mm -hmm. That's the antimatter ones. Each normal matter, like tangible matter, what you can touch with your hands, has, let's say, a negative particle in the antimatter spectrum. That is probably wrong because it's way too oversimplified, but for the sake of time. And basically, what you think might be feasible is if you can just create antimatter, convert the matter-antimatter mixture into energy, mm -hmm. then you can basically use uh, that okay. as fuel or to fuel something, if not fuel itself. Isn't there an idea for like a spaceship where you create essentially uh like that hole but like a singularity in front of the ship and it pulls the ship forwards but you keep it locked in place uh, yeah it's very very scientific science fiction-esque but it's always been one of those ones that i've i've thought has been extremely cool um it's very cool i just don't know that would rely on you it's essentially like you have a being a able to sphere. guide the gravity right yeah because you you draw it in it's like okay does the ship get sucked in no but does the black does the singularity move through space and how are you directing it um, um the, ship, the ship would well to a bystander who is perceiving the ship it would look like it's accelerating true but how do you control that is what i'm saying like you have you build a singularity which pulls in matter from all sides equally Right, so if you just built one, it wouldn't go anywhere. You'd have to direct the gravity in some way. 
Ah, I see what you mean. So that it pulled itself mm. through space rather than just staying there. Okay, so but say, say that we built a Dyson sphere around it, right? And then we wo- we opened yeah. up one side. Oh, that's been proposed. Yeah, yeah that's, 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 really, that's, that's a really one. cool the, idea. Where you, yeah. like, you fire the light inside. That's like uh, yes. not an explosion, yeah. but uh, <laughs> like a sustained burning of light and i don't know what you it's not even like burning but it's where you fire the light around the inside and it's it's yeah it's, it's essentially star wars it's it's, it's using it's essentially star wars yeah, yeah like the death star or was it the star killers the new one or what the new one's called star killer is darth vader's secret apprentice yeah, what's in, the... uh, on a star killer base maybe what's the new death star called because <laughs> i can't remember uh yeah no, star killer base is what it is um, which is the bigger, 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 big brother of the Death Star? Um, right. It's essentially that because that's essentially what the Death Star is. Yeah, I know. The, technically, the Death Star isn't it? Star Killer Base is like that because it's got the whole. Yeah. Um, it's absorbing the star's energy, and then they look inside, and the star's there. That's like being a Type One or more civilization, right? Yes. Just that planet alone. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's less of a Dyson sphere because it just. It takes the energy rather than uses it, I think. But that is another thing that you've stumbled on there, which I'll mention very quickly before I wrap up, is one option is to stick people on rockets and send them away, right? Yeah. Another option, which Kurtzegat, which is a very incredibly cool YouTube channel, has explored. Um, what if you built a Dyson sphere around the sun and you use the energy of the sun... Mm-hmm to move it in relation to where we are in the Milky Way, right? Yes. Let's say instead of going with the flow, instead of going anti-clockwise, I think the Milky Way goes, well, I guess that depends on if you're looking above or down uh, (laughs) below. Let's say we're moving anti-clockwise through the Milky Way. What if we used the Dyson sphere, which directed the sun's energy out one way and pushed ourselves to go in the opposite direction? Because we're moving the sun, the sun would take our entire solar system with it because of gravity. Right. So we're not just moving a spaceship. Yeah. We move our entire solar system and the entire Earth and, yeah, the entire human population. Yeah. I'm sure like... And because we're going in the opposite direction to every single other star system in the galaxy, (laughs) we get there quicker and we just hop off along the way. And that might be actually one of the quickest ways to populate the Milky Way. Uh-huh. Yeah. Food for thought. <laughs> Food for thought. <laughs> okay. Mm. Um, I do have some other things very quickly to speak about, but for another time, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Indeed. Um. So, yeah. Have you got anything else you'd like to speak about? I do, but it's way too way too big and long to get into now. All right. Yeah. Maybe we'll save that for a future episode. Maybe it'll be next week. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll have a or break. Maybe we'll, we'll give you a break from the space thing. Yeah, even though the people I've talked to, they actually really enjoy the space. It's one of their, their favourites. But, you know, the sample size, we'll I, I don't think come back enough. Because, like, <laughs> the, the great filters, we only covered two of them. There's another seven to go at least. So we'll definitely come back in the future. Yeah and uh, talk about those things alrighty then so that will bring us to a wrap don't forget to share this with your friends family, co-workers, scientists 
plants, dogs, cats. Literally, if you can strap something down and make it listen, we will take that statistic. <laughs> if you want more information, fun, science, and follow us at Twitter, at InfoEntropyPod, Instagram, InformationEntropyPod, Spotify, wherever pods are cast into the void. Make sure, if you can, to give us a like, a follow, a rating. Yeah, we just appreciate that very, very much. Indeed. Um, anything else for you to add? I was going to say, if you if in, if your podcast enjoyer, I, I've come across a few actually recently in the weekends. Uh, Midnight Gospel, if I've got that the right name. Yes, you do. Uh, is that's on Netflix, right? Yeah, it's both a podcast and a visual animated series. That is these these guys. They recorded a podcast. Um, and then made it into an animated series with a story, so they added some bits. And it's one of my most favoritest listening and watching experience when it comes to philosophical, religious, morality-based interviews with people. It's, it's really incredible. Yeah, it's really cool. The last episode where he's, is all to do with death and coming to terms with it. And he essentially interviews his mum who's got I think it's stage four bowel cancer uh, and obviously she's she's dying and it's really really thought inspiring harrowing beautiful at the same time yeah I think I've watched the first few episodes so I'll, I'll continue along that journey then indeed it's, it's, it's worth a listen alrighty so I have been Tom Jenks that has been Mitchell Gatting, this has been the Information Entropy Podcast. You say that has been Mitchell Gatting. Wow. Okay. Oh, sorry, not that. It's just like (laughs) he, you. Um, Hopefully we've helped to decrease some of the entropy of information in your lives. Mm -hmm. Yes. Big hope. Big hope. (laughs) All right. Well, we will catch you guys next week then. Maybe not in space this time. So have a good one. Peace. (laughs) Peace. (laughs)